everybody. Thank you for tuning into episode 48, a special bonus episode of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father for ultra marathon runner and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you are somebody that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. And there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And kind of a big announcement I'm excited about. I'll, I'll be. I'll make this brief. But uh, just launched a forum that is coming off of my TonyOverbay.com. Um, website. So uh, across the top, you see the tabs, the the about, the virtual couch podcast tab. But now there's one there that says forum. And that forum is part of this path back forum. So it is an anonymous forum that anyone can go and sign up, uh, try to put a lot of research in there. So it will keep out spam bots and those kind of things. But it's a forum that is uh, it's designed to be kind of a place of help, of strength for anybody that might be struggling with uh, with maybe um, a pornography addiction and compulsive sexual behavior. You don't have to have those challenges to be there and you don't have to, it doesn't mean that you're an addict if you go sign up in the forum, but it's going to be a place that is extremely strength-based. I have uh, I have a lot of thoughts around, you know, when we've talked on the podcast before about removing a lot of the guilt and shame, those aren't productive. And But doing strength-based approaches, that's our, our best evidence-based approach to overcome some of these negative behaviors of, of going and embracing the life that you really want or dream of and that helps... Um, give a purpose that then causes us not to continually want to turn to addiction, um, isolation, shame, that sort of thing. So you, your your spouse, um, you know, uh, anyone that you think could benefit, um, please direct them to TonyOverbay.com and then have them click on the forum link and head over to that forum. It's free and it's just a place where uh, there's some sections in there, um, introductions and things that work, things that uh, if, if people need accountability partners, there's just a lot of good there. I really want to see that thing grow so that it can help people. But here's the, <clears throat> the the reason for this bonus episode is I, you know, I, I forget sometimes that if I'm on somebody's podcast, that, that doesn't mean that all of my listeners uh, followed me over there or even were aware of that. And about three weeks ago, I had the pleasure of being on Jody Moore's podcast. It, it, she had just transitioned from the name Bold New Mom to Better Than Happy. And she had me on and I just had a, a phenomenal time. It was a wonderful interview. She's a great interviewer. There, she was very enthusiastic. And we covered a lot of things. We covered narcissism, scrupulosity, depression, couples communication. And I just really appreciated her having me on. And she was kind enough to say, hey, take that audio file and do whatever you want with it. So this is a bonus episode. If you if you came to my podcast because you have listened to her Better Than Happy or Bold New Mom podcast, um, nothing new, no bonus content here, I'm afraid. But if you haven't heard this, um, she's interviewing me this time. And I get to cover a lot of the, the, the things that I'm really passionate about. If you want to see what Jody looks like or see my big bald head, um, you can look for the virtual couch on YouTube. And there is video of that as well as when I had her on my podcast a little while ago. You can find her at um, boldnewmom.com. Or I also check this one out. She's in the transition of moving over to Jody Moore, J-O-D-Y-M-O-O-R-E.com. So thank you so much for um, all of the support. Keep those uh, emails coming. Contact at Pathback Recovery. 
tonyoverbay.com or there's a, a form on tonyoverbay.com that you can send messages for uh, if you want questions answered on the show, podcast guests, or if there's anything else that I can do to hopefully point you in the right direction of ways that you can find help and uh, live the life that you always dreamed of. So now on to the interview that uh, Jody Moore did with me on her Better Than Happy podcast. excited to have you on the podcast. Um, I am so excited. I heard so, I've had so much feedback from you on my podcast that I'm I'm giddy to be here. I am. Oh, that's so nice of you. Thank you. Well, let me tell people kind of how, how we met and then I'll have you introduce yourself a little bit because I don't know your background even. Okay. Um, But you, so Tony is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Is that the right title? Right. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, you bet. And, um, and I got an email from you one day, um, inviting me to come on your podcast, which I was super flattered to get because not all therapists, um, (laughs) want to hear what a a measly life coach has to say. So I was impressed with that. Turned out you were living in, or you live in Roseville where I used to live. Right. Um, and, um, anyway, so I listened to some of your podcasts, the oh, virtual couch, yeah. which I love the title of right away. <laughs> and you. then I was like, you know, before I go on a podcast, I like to listen to a couple episodes and make sure it's a place I want to show up. Right. And I was yeah. just so, I, I love learning about human behavior. I'm fascinated by psychology. Um, you do such an amazing job on that podcast of That's teaching nice. concepts, and making it entertaining at the same time. And so I was thrilled and honored to get to go on your podcast. Well, that was great. And, and if anybody has, your audience hasn't heard that one yet. I mean, we go yeah. and we talk about Chick-fil-A, right? Which I've never right? looked at we go deep. The same. We do, we go very deep. That's very important. And if you're okay, I have to share that. So I have a lot of people in the area that were telling me that I need to listen to your podcast when, when I watch my podcast. And I told this on my podcast, but I thought, okay, you know, I'll go look up Jody and uh, yeah, I'll throw the kid a bone. I'll have her on my podcast, right? And then I go look, you know, and I'm I'm not very many episodes in, and and you have thousands of positive reviews, and I just thought, oh wow, I have to humble myself quick. And uh, I was so grateful that you responded. I didn't even think about that. You know, why would I not want to reach out to you? Because I've got people all around me telling me that you've you know you've changed their lives. So. Oh, that's so yeah, kind. Well, great. keep at it and you'll pass me up, I'm sure, in no, no time. <laughs> but uh, not that it's a race. I love I love what you're doing. Um, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to hear just a little bit about um, your backstory, like what you do. Do you specialize in any particular type of therapy? Yeah, um, sure. So, and, well, and it's funny, you know, I, I came out of college. I graduated um, from the University of Utah long, long ago and uh, okay. back in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I took a job in computer, computer software. And I kind of rode that dot-com boom. And I was one of the few people that just did nothing with that. I watched people around me uh, get rich and and buy big houses and all this sort of thing. And, and, it, and computers just weren't my passion. And I had felt like uh, I wanted to go into counseling psychology at one point in college. And I look back on this and I can't believe I did this. I think I asked somebody and they said, you know, with a psychology degree, really all you can do is teach. And I just thought, Okay, I don't want to do that. And I, I mean, I don't remember who it was. I mean, I might, I might have even made it up in my own mind. And so I'm seven, eight, nine years into my computer software career, and just not 
not enjoying it at all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so then I thought at one, I started thinking, go back and get my master's in counseling. And then I put that off for a couple of years. And so finally in my early thirties, I thought a couple of years are going to pass by and I'm either going to have my master's in counseling or I'm not. So I started back on that journey. And then it was like, Oh man, where, where has this been that, like you say, the study of human behavior, I actually enjoyed reading uh, textbooks and I actually did homework and all these things that I didn't do in my undergrad or in high school mm-hmm. and just loved it. So I did feel kind of a calling to work with men. I really wanted to help men be better husbands and fathers. And, and, and this is a bit of a hack line I use now, but so I was so excited in, in grad school, I would, they would say, why are you here? And I would say that line and everybody would kind of giggle. Like the, most of my professors were practicing therapists I never really knew why they were giggling. And then I get out into practice and guys don't come to therapy. So that I guess <laughs> you're that, like, that was, no, joke, I get right? Yeah. Oh, this is why they laugh. <laughs> so, you know, I started, uh, actually started working initially for, um, LDS family services for a number of years and I was still maintaining some other businesses. And so I was doing it more part-time. And so I worked a lot with, you know, anxiety and depression and that sort of thing, but still had this just passion to want to work with men. And mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough uh, to be trained in working with, um, pornography, addiction, and compulsive sexual behavior. I don't think I've ever said fortunate enough with pornography. <laughs> with that and word praise, right? Yeah. Sentence. And yeah. And so I did that. And, uh, and then that kind of led me toward working with more men and then working with more men as I kind of worked with addiction and, and learning that a lot of addiction is, is coping mechanisms and kind of just not being satisfied with life. That kind of led me into more couples counseling. And so now I do just, I do, a ton of couples and then a lot of working with men with addiction issues, but I still mm-hmm. do a lot with anxiety or depression, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. A couple okay. of uh, funny specialties, one called uh, scrupulosity, which is like an OCD of religious thoughts. And yeah. that's one that, yeah. Uh, Catholics and Mormons were, we, we OCD we, of uh, religious thoughts. Yeah. How wild is that? Scrupulosity. Tell me about that. Um, well, so first of all, scrupulosity sounds like a great game. I remember when I yeah. heard it, I thought I'd love to play that. Right. <laughs> so scrupulosity is when, when people, you know, OCD attacks, what is important. So if we look at the okay. classic, somebody washes their hands a lot, they probably have some issues with germs or sickness or that sort of thing. So when people have been kind of raised very religious and maybe they have always felt like they just aren't good enough. Um, then they will come up with kind of a, a, the, the OCD brain will kind of lock into that pattern. And now they're going to feel like, well, if I say this, you know, thing in my head enough times, I'll be forgiven. Or if I confess, you know, uh, every single thing I do, I gotta, I gotta have everything out there. If I want to be mm-hmm. worthy enough to kind of, you know, be a real instrument in God's hands. And, and it gets to the point where I have people that will say, man, I wake up in the morning and I got to pray. Do I wear the red shirt or the blue shirt? Cause what if somebody likes red at, when I bump into them at Chick-fil-A and then they might want to ask me about the gospel. And if that's the case, but then if I wear blue and then they won't, and then, okay, did I do something bad? I better confess to my bishop. Oh you know? my goodness. Right? Wow. That's yeah. fascinating. It really is. That one's, that one's pretty wild, but it's uh, boy, when you work th- with somebody through that, it's just amazing. It's yeah. Think really... of all the brain power you free up for them. When you... Well, it's funny. So I use this, uh, here's a tie in, by the way, I liked how you said earlier that you wanted to do the background and listen to my podcast. I, I've been listening to yours for a long time. And today I did. And I, I wish I could run to my kitchen right now and show you I did not eat the second donut because I listened to your <laughs> podcast about like, you know, my fat reserves, right? Uh-huh, um, right. But, but so, you know, so... Uh, you don't really have any, but that's okay. Oh, I do. <laughs> the, the phrase... Well, love we all have some, right? but exactly. yeah. Yeah, right? Um, but so, yeah, so working with that scrupulosity piece. And here's my uh, my ADD brain at work. I don't remember the question, Jody. <laughs> 
That's okay. I'll bring it back around. That's my job as the host. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. On track. Yeah. No, that's fascinating. I was just we were just talking about your background and the and this the scrupulosity is so fascinating. I'm curious, how do you help people with that issue? It, you know, it's funny when I look back at my first client. I can remember my first client that I looked back on and knew had scrupulosity. You try to. I mean, it's so ridiculous at first because they have every talk and scripture and everything memorized that's going to kind of justify why they are doing the wrong thing oh here's i just jump back on my train of thought i went down the donut part because you said it takes a lot of mental work and i always say you're burning a lot of calories on mental calories on worrying about doing what's right to the point of where you're not putting yourself in a position to actually be someone who can be a a tool in in God's hands or a good servant sort of thing. Right. Interesting. Right. That was the donut. That's the donut. Right. Yeah, exactly. But so when I first started working with people, you find, you feel like, well, wait a minute, they just said this, you know, pride is bad. So says this person, it's like, well, I've got to talk. This says pride is good. Right. So, Hey, just read this one. Like, ah, but this scripture says this. I'm like, okay, I got to go research this. Right. And I come back the next time. All right. I got one it's this scripture and like, Oh, touche, you know, let me go do my homework. So it's not about that. It's more about kind yeah. of identifying, um, you know, are those thoughts productive kind of where those thoughts come from. And a lot of the work that I like that you do where what's the, what are those stories that we're telling ourselves, where do those come from? And, and again, I, I do a lot of work with, if we dial into what our core values and goals and beliefs are, then when we have thoughts that kind of oppose those and if in that scrupulosity's core, it's wanting to be good, wanting to be righteous, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So if it's these, if it's these thoughts that kind of take you away from that path, then is that a productive thought? And then using some nice mindfulness techniques, that sort of thing, we're going to learn how to just move those thoughts on through that don't, that aren't productive. Mm, yeah. yeah. So it kind of goes back to a lot of the stuff that I know you talk about yeah. that I work with, but you know, a lot of it is first kind of jumping in with some empathy and understanding and right. not trying to battle and fix and judge. That's right. What, yeah. Right. I think some of those people email me. I'm just saying. I, I well, the funny <laughs> part is so, you know, I get I get a I'm very fortunate to get to speak a lot, which I really love. And uh and there are certain things that I just want to, especially when I'm speaking to an LDS audience or a Catholic uh, audience, I I just, I want to bring these things up just to bring awareness yeah. to them. And, and I will all, I mean, I was going to use an all or nothing statement always, but I, I will always hear from, you know, some uh, religious leaders, clergy bishops that are going to say, okay, you know, I, I've got a couple people that are texting me all week. And, and a big part of that scrupulosity is called the doubt doubters disease. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's like just constant doubt of, I may have confessed, but man, I just thought about this. And I don't know if I told them about this part of that, you know? And right. it, was, it actually kind of goes back and I think it was the 16 or 1700s where some uh, Catholic priests were hearing, you know, the same people come week after week in the confessionals and just dialing down to the minutiae. It's like, I know you forgave me last week, Father, but did I tell you that I also did this, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And right. I, you know, you see that I see it in therapy a lot. I do. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, you know, pretty much everything's kind of on a spectrum. So right. even, even scrupulosity, I get the people that are overly scrupulous and then the people that some of those, uh, I just have to unburden myself and confess, even if it's to their detriment, because it might not be as significant as they think it is. Yeah. So fascinating. It is. That one's pretty wild. I've got about 40 yeah. or 50 pages I've taken on wanting to write a book about it someday, but, um, Good. it's, it's, it's hard to kind of get all your thoughts in order. And I'll tell you the wildest part at first is working with a scrupulous client. They're looking at me as like that. I mean, I've had guys tell me in the moment, they're kind of saying a prayer to know if I am to be trusted, you know, I mean, it's oh, like, right. 
and and the very the, there's a lot of uh, info out there that's um, you know from the Catholic Church. And the first book I bought to kind of help me about it, understanding scrupulosity, was written by a priest. And I'm using that with an LDS client. And I didn't realize for about two or three sessions, watching this blank look on his face, that he's like, "They're like that's no, not relevant." That, yeah, that one didn't come from the brethren. I'm I'm out. Yeah. You know, so yeah, pretty fast. I really feel like we have such an opportunity um, in the Mormon culture, anyway, the LDS culture, to. Um, to really grow up a little bit spiritually, even, mm. even somebody that's not to the extent of your, what you're describing with some kind of OCD type thoughts, just that we're sort of like children in that we want everything to come exactly from someone's yeah. mouth. And oh, yes. Literal. We t- yeah. interpret everything so literally. And I, I personally believe that God wants us to have a relationship with him and that sure. there is not one size fits all. And that um, what is good for one person is not the same for somebody else. I, I totally agree. So, um, you know, and I have an online pornography recovery program that's yeah. there, but I love when I'm working one-on-one with a client. Um, it is, it's an individual experience that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm figuring out, you know, what they're the fancy psychology term schema, or also known as baggage that they bring to the situation <laughs> uh-huh. that makes them unique and why their particular situation, um, it is kind of unique. And so we can yeah. put it into a framework of recovery, but, uh, but there's some nuance to that as well. And I, it, what you're just saying reminds me last night, I've got a guy that he he's doing amazing, you know, work with uh, overcoming some um, pornography addictions and compulsive sexual behavior. But at one point we're struggling with this one piece. And, and then uh, I've been saying this kind of like giving him some confidence, some strength based stuff for a little while. And then it's like, he comes in, he's like, Hey, I just found where someone wrote that. So, mm-hmm. so this is good, you know, and I, and I want to be like, well, yeah. that's all you need. I'll write it down. And then you can read that, you know, because I right. felt like since it was in a book, then it was like, I can believe this now, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. So. One of the things I'm always telling my clients is, um, did you know that you can believe anything <laughs> you want? Yeah. Yeah. Anything you want, literally. And then check yourself. Like, does it serve me to believe this? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, that's you fun. can, like you have permission. We're looking for permission because it was in a book or something. Yeah. yeah I don't, I think we maybe covered this on uh, my interview with you, but every now and again, there is that, uh, when I feel like I've worked with somebody for a long time and then all of a sudden they're like, uh, yeah, I was just watching, you know, TV and, and this speaker said, you know, I should, I should try to be more happy. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, that's what we've been talking about for weeks. Right. And I have to like stuff. That <laughs> Didn't I say that? Me, right. I'm like, <laughs> Huh, that's interesting. That does sound like a good idea yeah. that I said. Like, a- <laughs> so. so good. All right. Well, talk to me if you wouldn't mind. I do um, have a lot of listeners who either themselves or somebody in their life, maybe it's a spouse or a child or somebody else they care about struggles with depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And particularly like any thoughts you think would be helpful to share, but I guess one of the common questions that I hear that maybe you could speak to is at what point is this just normal? I'm a human. I'm going to be sad. Sometimes life is hard. And at what point is it? um, And, you know, I teach a lot about thought work and that our thoughts are creating all of our feelings. I do also believe 100% though, that there are chemical imbalances and other things um, and so at what point is the question I get a lot is, do I need to go see a therapist? Do I need to maybe be medicated? And I always mm. say, I don't know, go talk to somebody. Yeah. But yeah. any thoughts you have on that topic? Oh, okay. I feel like I'm going to sit up in my seat. Are you ready? I'm getting my soapbox <laughs> out. Here we go. Right. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> you can cut me off at any point, Jody. You really can. So, um, great question. 
Um, and so there's so many answers. When I started out in therapy, I was going to be the therapist that really didn't feel like, you know, I was going to talk about medication much. I didn't feel like that was kind of in my wheelhouse. I didn't have any experience with it at that point. You know, I have since. And, but then I remember the first client that came in and just talked about, he was going through a really, really painful divorce and he was on an antidepressant. And he said this phrase where I loved where he just said, my thoughts aren't going all the way to the basement, which he said then. So I kind of feel like I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit better now in, in comes, uh, um, I was working at the time with a a doctor as a client and he was awesome and he was in a, a tough marriage and his wife didn't like to talk about medicine at all. And so he wanted me to take five minutes at the end of every session and then ask him a medical question that he could then just sound like the man on. Right. And so uh, I would bring in all kinds of stuff about I, I, I'm a I'm an ultra runner. I would ask all kinds of stuff about hydration and kidneys and fueling and all this kind of stuff. And one day I, I didn't prepare and I'm driving into work and I hear a radio commercial and it was for an antidepressant and they're going through the super quick 800 um, side effects. Right. And one of those was may cause suicidal ideation. And I'm like, well, wait, it's an antidepressant. Like that doesn't make any sense. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm asking the doc. So I asked him and he laid this thing out so well. And this, this was uh, almost 10 years ago. And, and it's caused a, a, me to form this thing I call the emotional baseline that I use in my practice, particularly with things like depression. And he, he said that, you know, if you look at clinical depression, if somebody is completely flatlined, they don't even want to get out of bed, you know, which is just as, as low as they can get. And if you were to go put a antidepressant, literally you know, pull their lip out, put that in after two or three weeks and it kicks in, they're going to raise their head up and kind of then go, man, my life is bad. I, I don't want to be here. And, he, and he's like, so we have to quickly then move them up to this place where it's like, okay, my life is, is not good, but okay, I, I can, I don't know, I'm willing to do it something. It can get better or yeah, something. Yeah, it can get better. Yeah. And we kind of move them through that suicidal part. And that just, I had this just mm. epiphany, clouds open, unicorns ran around. And it was like, the emo- I had this concept of emotional baseline where, you know, on a day-to-day basis, we have all these things we have to deal with. And then some days we feel, if we're feeling good, we respond one way. And on other days, if we're really down, we're going to respond completely different. And the lower our emotional baseline is, kind of the the harder it is for us to respond to the daily things around us. So when I'm working with depression, a lot of times I say, okay, I want to, and the emotional baseline is all about self-care. So I'm going to start trying to, you know, we're going to worry, we're going to learn a lot of the negative self-talk and those stories, a lot of the thought work that I love that you do. But then I'm also going to say, let's look at self-care. And if somebody's baseline is low enough, they're thinking, okay, I I can't, I can't justify, you know, doing things for me. I mean, I'm letting everybody else Mm -hmm. down around me. So, so typically I'll say, okay, well, let's just start with what do you like to do? And one of the the stories I often tell is I had a client who, you know, all he could say was, I I, kind of like to read, but then he said, but if I read, I feel like I'm doing so bad on all my church stuff. I should read, you know, I don't know, the infinite atonement or Jesus the Christ or miracle forgiveness. And I read those things and I feel like I'm not doing my part. Then I I feel depressed. Exactly. I feel worse. (laughs) So then I'm like, okay, how about, you know, what do you like to read? And he liked legal thrillers, John Grisham. I kind of enjoy that stuff too. So we basically said, what if you had permission to read something you liked for 30 minutes a day? And he was like, well, okay. You know, so I remember I actually wrote it on a sticky note because I was like, like doctor's orders. Exactly. And I I got to tell you, exactly. And I I just thought about this the other day. I want to, you know, Vista print or whatever. I want to do I want a prescription pad that's like fake, but I don't know if I would get in trouble, like (laughs) doctor or whatever, but Uh where I write that, it's like, I want you to read. I want you to go on a walk. I want you to do things for you. So he then would read the John Grisham. And at the end of that 30 minutes, it's like, 
okay, that felt okay. And then he was working from home and then he was able to kind of like move forward and, and do a little something there. Now we're bumping that baseline up a little bit and things okay. look different the higher it gets. So yeah. enter medication. So then I start noticing that sometimes I feel like medication does a nice job of bumping the baseline up a little, little quicker. Mm-hmm. And if the baseline's up, then maybe now we can do more of that self-care. Mm-hmm. So then I'll have people say, well, what if, you know, do I have to be on medication my entire life? And my first response is, Hey, if it's working, uh, we're okay, right? Yeah, right. But sometimes it will bump you up enough that now you can start doing all these other things in your life mm-hmm. and other self-care items. And and then you get to a place where your baseline is so high that let's say you do start to titrate off the medication. Your baseline might take a little bump, but you're still high enough that you now can, you have the tools to now mm-hmm. raise that baseline back up, you know, on mm-hmm. your own. So um, yeah, I mean, okay. and, and, and so excuse me. So I, I really love, excuse me, but from a self-care standpoint, I feel like when people are down, they, they kind of feel like that's the last thing they can do. But I'm telling you, I've been doing this for a a long time now. And, and when people spend a little more time with self-care, then they are, they're a better uh, husband, a better father, a better mother, a better uh, church servant, a better. So, and, and so it's okay to kind of do some of that work on your own. So, yeah. I'm gonna put my soapbox away. Okay. Well, no, I thank you. I appreciate that. I'm, I love that like you're talking about, it's almost like that unconscious, somewhat unconscious phase, right? At the very yeah. bottom. And then the yes. medication gets them up to consciousness, which can feel more painful. Yeah, you're right. Right? Yeah. Yep. In that unconscious phase. So yeah, that is really fascinating. Um, and yeah, I talk a lot about that. I was just coaching a woman the other day in my coaching program who has kind of those thoughts about taking care of herself and feeling she's actually, I think this woman is coming to my, I have a four day workshop in a couple weeks. She's feeling guilty about spending the money and taking the time away and all of that. And, and, you know, my thought is (laughs) I have the opposite problem, I guess. Mm. But like when I'm leaving to go to the gym, my kids say, mom, I wish you didn't have to go. I wish you were going to be here. And what I tell them is, I love that you're going to miss me and I'm going to miss you, but I have to take care of myself. I have to take Mm. care of my body. I have to take care of my brain. If I don't, I'm not going to be a very good mom to you. So Mm. I, I love that you're going to miss me. I'm going to miss you too. I will see you in an hour and then we will do something fun. You bet. Those are, and those are, those are normal thoughts. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Um, I I always say that if I don't exercise for a couple of days and I'm shorter, fatter, balder, I'm a worse husband, therapist, you know, (laughs) you name it. Right. Right. Why would I want to, to, to go to do that? It penalizes you and everyone else to not care for yourself. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Um, one of the podcast episodes of yours that I have to say is one of my favorites is the narcissism episode. Oh boy, yeah. And in all honesty, you know, being not a therapist myself, I'll have clients a lot of times that will talk about having a narcissist in their lives in some yeah. form or another. And I haven't studied it in depth. So when your podcast popped up, I was like, oh, good. I'm finally going to understand more. I know what it is basically. Yeah. But I thought it was so fascinating what mm-hmm. you taught about narcissism. Um, one of the questions that I love that you addressed, and maybe you could share it here in yeah. your own words, is I found myself thinking, am I a am narcissist? Am I a narcissist? Yeah. Everybody, no, then and you know tell the answer. Me, what did tell I say us what there? you taught about that. Okay. If you ask that question, you are not a narcissist. A narcissist does not wonder, am I a narcissist? No, a narcissist is, is kind of going around <laughs> going, 
man, I am awesome. Like I've kind of got everything figured out and this is pretty cool that people get to be around me, right? Yeah, I was like, what's the difference between really confident and right. narcissistic? No, and we right. want the confidence and that's that part where the negative self-talk will tell us. And there's, I got another episode that's on imposter syndrome. That oh I'm, yeah, that's a good oh, one gosh, too. That's the one that I'm, I have constantly because I feel like at any moment now I'm going to get the knock on the door and they're going to be like, hey, hey, you're kind of not really uh, know what you're talking about. So we're going to pull that microphone away. <laughs> but the narcissism- Exactly. So, but, but if you are asking yourself, and I, I love that because I have a couple of clients that are, they're, they're always saying that it's like, but wait, but am I a narcissist? I'm like, remember, no, you're not, you know, you're not at all. Um, because the narcissist is, and, and I put on the podcast as well, that to me, a narcissist is a bit of a unicorn. You're only going to see him from time to time. And it's only when things have gotten really bad in the relationship fine, they'll come in. And then it's just a matter of time before they feel like I'm in a complete buffoon. And oh, meaning you as a therapist, yeah, you're not yeah. going to see them. Right. right. Yeah. We're not going to see them very often. I get from time to time, I might be able to work with one a little bit. And I have had um, a handful of uh, men who have then said, and it's funny, it's typically the same way. It's like, fine, whatever. Let's just say that I am. I know I'm not, but let's just say that I am. What would right. I Right. And I basically have to say, well, you would kind of do the opposite of everything you're doing now. You would express whatever you think you want to do, do the opposite. And there's, and there's a, I even keep a clip on my computer and it's a clip from Seinfeld where George Costanza, there's a whole episode where he's like, I'm going to do everything the opposite. And so I'm like, that's you, you're George Costanza from Seinfeld now, and you're going to do the opposite of everything you think. Um, So that's, and I I have to tell you the thing that I was so shocked about with that episode was um, and I, th- I think I confessed to you, maybe it was off the air the last time, but as the, my podcast kind of grows, it's just, it's so fun to look at the stats and to see where, where people are downloading from. And mm-hmm. I am dead serious. Like the, the amount of downloads from the Washington DC, Virginia area were, it, it just skyrocketed. And all I could think about are people setting, you know, Google alerts for the word narcissist or narcissism, because it's people that are, and again, it's not the politician going am I a narcissist? But it's like right. the 15 people that work with him that are like, this guy is a narcissist, you know? And right. so, cause it was crazy how much the downloads came from that area. Oh, right. that is fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Not that all. So what is, does a narcissist ever experience shame then? Um, if it, if it's to their benefit, if they can use that wow. to manipulate. When would it, Oh, okay. No, and I, that's a that's a real harsh statement. I mean, I'm, it's, I mean, I mean, even narcissism it can be on a spectrum. I mean, I have people that right. are just in you know hardcore. Just I want to keep saying the word insane or crazy narcissist, but very rigid narcissist. Mm-hmm. And I have others that like have narcissistic tendencies or okay. narcissistic traits. And and yes, that, that person can feel the the shame or feel uh, guilt or feel remorse but it's funny i think that then the brain kind of immediately wants to go to you know but how do i how do i fix this how do i repair this i better manipulate the situation quickly because mm-hmm. i will i will you know, i do a lot of couples work and when i will work with the narcissist there it, it is pretty pretty wild when you will watch a narcissist in the wild you know who will then kind of go, wow, maybe, maybe I am doing this stuff wrong. And it might be a pretty touching moment, but then you can almost like, if you just sit in that moment, then the defenses come back up and it's like, wait a minute, but she, she's the one that's, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh, you know, he got too vulnerable and that was, and that was oh, new and hard. Right. Yeah. Right. So what do you do if you're the other person that's not the narcissist that has that person in your life in some way? Oh, uh, Jody, you're breaking up now. No, that's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry for the snort there too. So, I mean, that's the hard part because I don't ever want it to sound like there's no hope because I feel like that's where a lot of the self-work happens. A lot of the self-care. I feel like, you know, when I, when I'm doing that work with an individual, we're going to kind of learn because one of the, the 
tools that a narcissist uses. And, and I'm telling you, I'm making it sound like this is all, they've got a dry erase board and every night they're like, how can I manipulate everyone around me? It's not to that extreme. It's kind of no. just the way that it, the way that they're close, right. Intuitive. Yeah. So, so there's this term called gaslighting. And so gaslighting is where, and this is what I run into the most. And this is the work you can do to help someone who is maybe married to a narcissist. But gaslighting is where the person has been told that their version of reality is wrong and just the narcissist insists on it so much so that the person, you know, who, who they were convinced they're not wrong, all of a sudden they're like, ah, I don't know, maybe I am, you know, and I, and I give the really cheesy example of it's like if I was telling you, hey, the sky's purple and you're like, you know, Tony, it's blue. And I'm like, okay, like you've, you've worked with crayons, right? I mean, you know what blue is, right? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you went to school and like, you, you know, blue, I mean, you see this shirt, it's blue, right, Jody? And if you're like, yeah, but you know, and then I'm like, that sky is purple, you know? And then eventually you're leaving going, I, I don't know, maybe I have been wrong about the color blue my entire life. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that it, it breaks my heart and working with the partner of a narcissist. Mm-hmm. So then we're trying to say, okay, you know, we want to, first of all, we got to get the baseline up self-care. And then we're going to learn to kind of learn to disengage from the, that, that kind of dialogue, those things that we know that we're not going to really make any progress with. Mm -hmm. And we're going to know that, okay, it's okay. We are, we are right. We can be right about things. But part of that is just really not engaging because if you jump into that fray with a narcissist, they are going to fight till they win. You're not going to convince them. No. And that's the whole thing. And that's the part where I don't want it to sound like there's no hope because really um, the couple's modality that I love this uh, EFT emotionally focused therapy, it's a modality that kind of, it, it, it doesn't give as much space for somebody to just say, well, my version is, is reality. My version is right. I mean, it's a nice way to kind of have productive communication, even with somebody with rigid thinking, because in this uh, couple's modality called EFT, the, even the narcissist has to say, okay, I have to validate that that's my partner's experience. And I have to go all in on empathy and understanding, and I have to not use fixing and judgment statements. But now imagine if I've got a couple doing that kind of work, that's when the narcissist finally goes, yeah, this guy's an idiot. I don't want to come back to counseling anymore. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, he's going to be held accountable. And there might be some change there. Right. I want to come back to EFT in just a minute, but I just wanted to kind of add my two cents is that I teach that we can love anybody, Mm, but there are people that are a lot more challenging for me to love. Very strength-based, you bet. And I may not choose to spend a lot of time with those people or to even maybe stay in a relationship with those people. But to, um, I like my clients to always keep their own, you know, power over. I get to feel however I want. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can be around someone who's even very challenging for whatever reason and feel love for them. But that doesn't mean I always want to, it it requires a lot of me sometimes. And Mm -hmm. I need to limit you know, my interaction or have to your points and boundaries about like, I'm, I'm not going to have that argument with you. Exactly. I'm not going to engage. I, yeah. Because yeah. I know where it's going to head. And I love that. You're right. Cause I think that is, I'm trying to get people to disengage. And the, I will tell you the hard part of working with anyone with uh, um, a personality disorder is that we are convinced that if we just say the right thing, if we just like stay at our argument long enough, that we'll finally say the thing, or we will convince them that, you know, they will now see my view of reality. And, and that's one of the things that we kind of need to dial that back and just, yeah. yeah uh, because like that's, stop trying to change yeah, them. Yep. And, and to be very clean also, I think about like um, their view of the sky or whatever it happens to be 
is not about me, right? Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. We internalize things so much and we make it mean something about us. Yes. And if someone with a personality disorder or not, even just someone with a strong opinion, right? That is not about me. It's so hard not to make everything mean something about us. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Awesome. Well, tell us more about EFT. I know it's one of the things that you are that you do with in your couples therapy that I know yeah. you helped so many couples with. I dig this. So if I kind of go back to when you, a lot of therapists aren't big fans of couples therapy, especially if you don't have like a solid modality to, to, to use. I feel like the, the fundamentals of couples therapy, if you just, you know, get through school and you've, and, and back in the day, I would maybe have one or two couples a week and I would go, Oh, you know, it's so taxing and you would do a lot of like reflective listening, you know? So it's, uh, you know, Jody, what did you hear Tony say? You know, well, I heard him say this and this. And and meanwhile, you're just like, but that's wrong, you know, or whatever. And did you and feel like you were the referee a little bit? Oh, that's all you feel like. And, okay. and that's like, just, there's nothing. So, so kind of, I feel like if somebody doesn't have a real strong couples modality, it's the reflective listening. What do you hear? What do you hear? And basically the therapist sits back and goes, all right, compromise. And I remember back in the day on this one woman coming in and it's like, she was a go-getter and all over the place. And maybe the husband wasn't as much. And I did the bad thing where, you know, if you're, if you go watch this uh, video where it's like, you know, so I'm like, so you're here and he's here and I'm showing one's up high and one's down low. I'm like, so then we're just going to meet in the middle. And she's like, do you realize you just told me that I'm going to like lower all of my hopes, dreams, standards, right? I'm like, Okay, can we just flip it this way then? Can we like meet in the middle? You know, that's <laughs> me in the bit, middle. Yeah, it was a little horizontally. Bit too exactly, and so that kind of works exhausting. So, so I really, and part of it was working with guys and and addiction and trying to say, okay, how do we get them to feel more success in their lives, their jobs, their their, but mainly their relationships, because a lot of that, you know, addiction is is just the, again, it's coping, it's tuning out, it's not wanting to deal with, and so I had to go learn about couples and, and good couples modality. So EFT stands for emotionally focused therapy. And it's pioneered by this woman named Sue Johnson. She's a, a psychologist out of Canada. And it's, it's one of the, the, the true evidence-based couples modalities. So um, they, there's nice evidence around this little functional brain scans that show like this working and, and, and it works for almost, I think it's 70 something to 80% of couples. Uh, so, which is very high for mm-hmm. working with couples, but here's the, the main thing. So EFT is a, a whole new paradigm of the way that you communicate with your spouse. You have to basically deconstruct that reflective listening and I'm going to convince them of something. So EFT is based on attachment theory and super quick attachment theory is um, we went our whole lives like trying to look for um, who can we feel safe with. If we're vulnerable, um, if we show our hearts to somebody, what are they going to do with that? Now, when we're younger and whether it's bullying or teasing or whatever, a lot of times it's hard to be vulnerable because if we open up to somebody, then they will use that against us. They'll tease us. They'll make fun of us. They'll whatever. It's mm-hmm. particularly hard for what I like to call man brain because man brain's been given the whole time of rub a little dirt in it, strong, silent type. Don't let them see you cry, all those sort of things. Mm-hmm. So already we're kind of, it's, it's a struggle to find these secure attachments, but then we get married and now here's our partner and we're supposed to um, be open and vulnerable to them. But now we've got this kind of dialogue in our head of like, yeah, but if I let, you know, especially for guys, if I get super um, emotional, that's not the guy she wanted. She's out of here, you know? So I gotta, I gotta hold my feelings close to the vest or oftentimes when a woman is going to say, all right, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to open up to him and I'm doing this cheesy thing with my hands for your listening audience. Where I'm going, here's my heart is what you're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to yeah. be vulnerable. Here's my heart. What do you do with it? And a lot of times guys don't know what to do with it. So they just go mm-hmm. quiet, you know, and yeah. then it's the worst thing you can do. Cause I mean, I, that's one of my parlor tricks. I feel like in therapy where it's like, uh, Hey guy who shuts down, ask your wife what she's thinking right now. And then she's like, well, I just put out this emotional bid. I just showed him my heart. He didn't say a word. So I'm like, okay. So, you know, he thinks I'm this, 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 and this, and he's thinking about leaving and all these things. And the guy will look and go, I wasn't thinking any of that. And then it's like, well, then say something. Um, I was going to say, I was going to say dummy, but that's a judgment. (laughs) But it's like, then say something. And so what EFT teaches is when you put out something, anything, any kind of an expression, emotion, whatever, it's called an emotional bid. You're basically looking at your partner and saying, you know, can I count on you? Can I trust you? Are you there for me? Do you love me? Now, then with the guy, um, so we're going to say the woman puts out the emotional bid. Now the guy is going to have to do some things that aren't normally um, comfortable for him. He has to go all in on empathy and understanding. He has to turn off his fixing and judgment brain. And he has to just say, this is my partner. And I need to hear everything they have to say about what, what they're kind of presenting. Um, you know, if they're saying, and I'll give you an example. So a lot of times if, uh, if we're having communication and let's say we're touching base at the end of the day and, and the wife says, man, I had a rough day today. You know, the kids were acting up and so-and-so like did bad at school or whatever. And then husband is a lot of times to say, well, why didn't you just go talk to the teacher? Or I would have told him he was grounded or I would have, those are all fixing and judgment statements. Right. So instead in the EFT world, it's like, I had a rough day. I was frustrated with, uh, this teacher. Then husband's job is to now like, okay, I'm all in, I'm ready. I'm focused. And I want to hear what your experience was. I want to hear why that was hard for you. I want to hear where your mind went with that. I want to hear what your background was and why you felt uncomfortable in that situation. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, go back to the evidence-based stuff. Imagine hooking a nice little brain scan up to her while she now feels validated and heard and empathized and not shut down. And it's mm-hmm. like, wow, that feels good, right? Now, the husband then um, doesn't have to just say, okay, well, I have no opinion or anything here, but now it's about the semantics of his response. There's going to be no, why didn't you, I would have, those are all fixing and judgment statements with that empathy and understanding. He's already coming from a place with more knowledge and she feels like, you know, he's actually listening. And now his work is to say, okay, I get that. I understand that makes more sense. I didn't think of it that way. I wonder if, or here's where my mind goes, or, and these are all statements that aren't going to attack what she just said. Right. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. she's now doing that same thing, now she's got her fixing and judgment brain turned off and now listening with awareness with what he's now bringing to the table. Um, now she's going to learn some new things. He feels more secure, secure and safe. And mm-hmm. now they live happily ever after. Right. Is that easy? Happily ever after. That, that easy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So simple. Um, I think the way I, th- I teach a kind of similar concept, but it's, mm-hmm. and, and I'm just want to connect the dots for my listeners who have yeah, heard yeah, talk about a lot of this stuff, but I think mine is just less academic, less clinical, oh, yeah. um, where it, I'm basically trying to illustrate that you don't have to change how people feel. Mm-hmm. And in fact, mostly we don't want people to, right? When I yes. go to my husband, I had an incident yesterday where I just kind of had this shame attack. And it was like, yeah. oh, this thing happened. I said this thing and I shouldn't have said it. And it was so terrible. And and he he did a beautiful... He's really, I think, better at it than I am. I think I have man brain and man he has brain? the, the yeah, sensitive okay. part. Yeah, but anyway, he, was, he just let me be sad about it. He was just like, oh, I'm so sorry. That's you know, that sucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know how that feels and just the empathy, right? Yeah, you bet. Not to jump in and fix it is really all I wanted. I already yeah. know how to fix it. I already know it's fine. Of course, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Like all of that. I already know all of that. I yeah. wanted a minute to just feel ashamed yeah. for someone to, to your point, just allow me and hold the space for that and yep. be like, 
you know, I love you anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) And it's such a relief even on the other side of it too, because sometimes I think the fixing, like you said, the the fixing part of us that wants to solve it and, Mm -hmm. or, and there's the judgment that comes in too. I think sometimes it feels like the right thing to do though. Like if my husband comes home and he's super stressed, shouldn't I try to help him not be stressed anymore? Yeah. The truth is, he just wants to be stressed sometimes and he just wants me to hear hear him out, hold the space, tell him I love him anyway. Yep. And when I started doing that rather than trying to solve it, whether it be for him or I have a son that's kind of that way, yeah. it's like a relief. Absolutely. Right. To me. And then, right? and then, and then what's cool. Uh, then when you get really comfortable and you know that that's the way we interact or communicate, I, I teach like uh, some kind of other semantics of language where you might even, he might even be able to respond of man, I, this is one of those things where I feel like I want to fix it, but I know that's not what you need. Or, or if you feel yeah. like I've just heard now he can even say, you know, I'm so grateful or this sort of thing. But then it's like, okay, I do have some thoughts. I'm curious. Do you want, do you want to hear them? Yeah. yeah. And usually, usually, Perfect. you know, my wife will say, Nope, I don't. And then we'll laugh and then she'll be like, okay, you can give me one, you know, or something like that. Right. Have you seen that YouTube video with the woman that has the nail in her Absolutely. head? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, I'll link to it here in the show notes. And it's he's great. like, oh, I know this. Not about the nail. Like, Not about the nail. My sister and I do that pretty well where, because I'll call her sometimes and just want to vent about something or whatever. And she'll do the same. And we're pretty good at asking each other, like, do you want me to get in the ditch with you? Or do you want it? Do you want help getting out? And and oh, we'll tell funny. each other, like, no, just get in the ditch with me. And we're like, okay. And then we both bend for a minute, you know? It. Yeah. Well, and that's what's cool is like, so with EFT, sometimes the answer is just awareness. It's just, yeah. we just like, I, I vented and I empath, and the other person empathized. And then they shared, man, I can, this is where I go with that thought. And the other person's like, yeah, I never thought about that. And then yeah. end scene. I mean, we're it's done. just that's a little like, bit of connection. And yeah. then, and yep. then the person's going to move on and solve it usually yep. on their own. Right. Yep. Yep. So good. I love it. Um, okay. Well, gosh, if people want to um, come and get more help from you, yeah. first of all, you do some virtual work yeah. as well, or do they need yeah. to live in your area? No, no, they don't. Uh, we're, you know, the, the world of teletherapy is, is wonderful. Yes. I was pretty averse to that for a while. I don't know why, but now, you know, you and I are here on zoom and you can read people's body language yeah. and stuff. And, you know, I had, a, I, <laughs> I think I was scarred long ago. I was working with a client that was out of state and, uh, um, and one day he's like talking to me and he's like, just huffing and puffing. And I'm just saying, Hey, what's going on? He's like, Oh, I'm, I'm on my bike, you know? And I just thought, yeah, I don't think you're very present right now. Yeah, so like, well, let's focus a little more, a little bit. Right. So yeah. But, yeah. So doing that. And, and I have to tell you, I, I had to, I just say your change of the name to better than happiness. I, if yeah. you're okay, give me one second, because I thought about, uh, I love that. I love that concept because I, I mm. feel like I used to say that I wanted to help people achieve, you know, this life they always dreamed of, or I wanted to help them reach their full potential. But then in particular, as a couples therapist, I found I was often trying to sell my couples on working through issues that brought them into counseling so they can have this amazingly satisfying marriage where they mm-hmm. can share all their hopes and dreams without fixing your judgment. And every conversation can be seen as this glorious way to connect, you know, only then I'm like, I'm on, again, I'm on my soapbox. I'm like, you guys, this can be amazing. You're going to have this way you can open up about everything and whatever. And, and I'm pitching this version of like this relationship. And I feel like I look over there and, you know, now one of them, they're just glossy eyed and, you know, one of them will say like, um, you're still going to tell him that he's wrong though. Right. You know? And so it's like, they don't even right. know what this, this version is. So yeah. I like how you said it's better than happiness. Cause sometimes, you know, people mm-hmm. don't even know what 
the next phase can look like. And I feel like in particular with couples, that's why I love this EFT modality. It's like when you really do feel like you can come open up about anything and feel like it's not going to be fixed and judged. And we end every conversation with, wow, I just learned more about my partner. And I feel like they care about me more. That is a whole new ballgame as far as a relationship goes. So I just, I love when you said that better than happiness. I really, I dug that because I was like, man, yeah, Yeah. I want to be better than what they thought they could be. Yeah. I even view like the work of, let's say going to couples therapy, for example, is not easy to do. And no. it does require that you're vulnerable and it's going to be uncomfortable at times. Um, my coach, Brooke Castillo calls it the river of misery. But oh. what happened, I mean, not, not just therapy, there's yeah, all yeah. kinds of things that are yeah. that, right? Yeah. But um, th- what happens is most of us are just living in this like pond of misery, kind of mm-hmm. like my marriage is just not ideal. I don't know what to do about it. I'm pretty sure it's my husband's fault or whatever, yeah, me, right? Yeah. And we just kind of wait and we deal with it. And maybe it's hard at times, but then it gets a little easier. And so we just decide to deal with it. And most people kind of live their whole lives that way. Exactly. And on the other side of the river of misery is actually a much more peaceful, not mm. perfect, like still with you know opposition and all things or what have you, Absolutely. but a much more enjoyable way to live. But to get there requires going through the river of misery, which is more painful than yeah. just hanging out in the pond where you're used to. It's uncomfortable. And so it's totally worth it though, whether it be with your marriage or your health or your business or anything else, typically to get to the next side, you've got to be willing to go through that river of misery. And that's really kind of what I'm passionate about there with that better than happy. It's better than just staying over here. No, I love it. There's a unicorn on the other side. Like I promise. Yeah, the unicorn. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You Um, and your unicorns. (laughs) I don't know why. So that, um, you know, and I wasn't a big unicorn fan growing up. I will say that. Uh, But so, and I will tell you that this, here's the vulnerable part of me is that um, I love that you're doing that change. And I'm actually just now, um, I've got my pornography addiction recovery program, which is called pathbackrecovery.com. Nice. Um, I'm just starting to launch my, it's, uh, it's, I mean, I don't want to say it cause it's like, you know, we, we got work to do still, but it's tonyoverbay.com. And so there I, I'm, I have, you know, I do a lot of writing. So I've got some blogging and my podcast and some videos, uh, your, our video will be up there hopefully, um, in the next uh-huh. few days, or whatever. Cool. And so, yeah, so people can find me there and you can contact me that way or, or that sort of thing. But, uh, I just am grateful that you have me on. I mean, this is, I feel like, um, I, every time I hear about the work that you're doing and I feel like, okay, this is stuff I love too. And I've been listening yeah. to your podcast and yeah, I, I just, I think you're doing some really good stuff. I love the stuff about the thought work. I mean, I feel like the more, um, that I'm, I'm helping people change the relationship with their thoughts. I mean, that's really the key to so much, you know, yeah. but, but I also jokingly say that when I start dropping into mindfulness talk or that sort of thing, where you watch people tune me out or, or I feel like they're like, Oh, is he going to go get a robe and like pin a right. on his head or something like that? <laughs> No, I appreciate you having me on. I love the work that you're doing. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming. 